Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Well, good morning, everybody. For those, my name's Tom, I think that's been said. Uh, I am one of the pastors here, which is, when you look at me, it is amazing that somebody would give me this job, right? Um, but I am, and uh, tough, tough luck for the rest of you, sorry. Um, so this morning, we are, we've been working through a series called Opposite Way. Um, the underlying premise of this being that if we are to be people who want to following Jesus' footsteps, practicing the way of Jesus as we word it, um, then there are some ways in which we can be living in the world that um, Jesus might call us to do a little bit differently and do his way. So, so far, uh, Sally kicked us off a few weeks ago now, um, talking about, you know, in a world of division, what does it look like to embrace others? Uh, One week I spoke on, you know, in a world of cancel culture, what does it look like to practice forgiveness? Uh, the last talk I think we did, because last week we had summer. My brain, my brain is fully ready for the summer holidays. Is like, yes. how, how long until August is basically what my brain is telling me. Um, a few, then a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, we then, I just had this, in a world full of statements, what, is it look like, what does it look like for us to ask questions of people? and hear people's story and come alongside them. And this series, if you've been with us at all, we try and mix up the teaching series that we do. So we started the year and we looked at what does it look like to be transformed by the the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you take a passage of scripture, like be transformed daily by the renewing of your mind. It's one of those ones that comes up in church a lot. But the, the thing the church can be very good at, if we're not careful, is saying these things over and over again. And there are people in the room who go, but what does that mean? What does that look like? Which just leads to confusion and anxiety and all that stuff. So what does it look like to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and teaching and community and relationships and all that kind of stuff? Uh, We then, I think we did something else that I can't remember, uh, but I'm sure it was really good. Go back through the podcast, have a look. Um, And then before this series, we did one on the story of God. That was going, actually, what is the big grand narrative of Scripture? What is it that we hold out hope for? But it was quite theological. This series, hopefully, is a bit more what you might call life application. It gets called that in certain circles. I'm not so bothered about what it is um, in that sense. But actually, what does matter to me is that what does it look like in the culture that we live in, which is increasingly um, post-Christian. This is a phrase, we've talked about this a little bit, right? That many of us will have grown up in a culture that was kind of Christian here in this country. I say kind of Christian on purpose. I think probably never in history has there been a real Christian society, but there's been societies that are heavily influenced by that. Um, so we live in this post-Christian culture, which is marked by a lot of the things of, that we would see in the Bible. But if you like, it wants the things of the kingdom without the king, and it wants to do it on their, on their terms. So what does it look like for us as Christians to live in this world? And I think I've grown up in a in a church that in response to that has just become obsessed with issues 
Um, so as we look at the world around us and things change, we, actually the church gets really riled up. And there's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But you see churches split over some of these things. And actually, as Christians, we have to recognize that the world around us is changing, but Jesus is unchanging. Um, and our, our job is to not get angry at the world around us that doesn't know Jesus, but to follow Jesus in the way of love, regardless of whatever else is going on around us. And I think I've sat in more, you know, if you go to things like DTI, I don't know what the schedule is for DTI, but, you know, events and church conferences and things like that, I've sat in more seminars about these issues than I have about becoming more like Jesus. And I think that's a problem, if I'm honest, that we get so fixated on these issues that we forget, you know, if you like, we become people who are more concerned with what Jesus is against than what he is for. Um, and I just think that just leads us to weariness and getting fed up with stuff. So this week, uh, in a world of endless acceleration, practice Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is one of those words um, that is deeply, deeply, deeply embedded in Scripture. But we're going to unpack it a little bit. And could I say, I'm giving this talk not as somebody who is brilliant at Sabbath. Actually, I'm giving this talk as somebody who desperately has to figure out what Sabbath is. Otherwise, it's going to kill me. Can I just say that? This hand up. Okay. I don't, this is not a talk where I have all the answers and you must listen to me. This is a talk of a guy going, this has been in the church tradition and the, you know, the Jewish tradition for millennia, for good reason. And the world around us doesn't do Sabbath and rest terribly well. But I think we have to figure it out. So let's start at the beginning. The first thing is this. Sabbath rest is God's design for us. So we spent a lot of time this year in the book of Genesis at the beginning, um, looking at what, is, what does it mean to be made in the image of God and to reflect him to the world. But we actually see if we're going to be people that reflect God into the world, then we have to acknowledge in that same story we visit over and over again that God takes rest in that time. So Genesis 1, uh, from verse 31 into the beginning of chapter 2, says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their, all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So, my challenge to myself and probably to some others in the room, I suspect, is if we want to be God's image bearers, how do we embrace Sabbath? Because that surely has to be part of what we reflect and I think we can talk about Sabbath, and there is a bit of a new wave of you know, modern churches wanting to embrace Sabbath, which is great, but they will talk about it in the context purely of rest, that there is something about the Sabbath that is holy. And the challenge to somebody like me, as we go through this, you'll discover I'm not very good at resting, um, and I'll unpack that a little bit more. I'm not very good at resting, but there is something in the Sabbath that is holy. It is an act of worship. And if I'm not willing to do it, then what is it that is in my heart that is stopping me committing to this act of worship? 
and this is the part for me that I'm like, that, that is the biggest challenge for me in all of this. this is, if this is part of my worship and I will not do it, then what is the work that I need to do in my heart? And probably more than just my heart, in my weekly schedule. So, it is a God-ordained day. And it is a gift. And it is a sacrifice. It is both those things at the same time. And it is time to sit back and enjoy God's creation. That's what we see God do. Interestingly, um, when Jesus is here, he regularly gets into trouble with um, the Pharisees and other religious teachers for doing things on the Sabbath he's not supposed to. In Mark 2.27, he turns around when they're questioning him. And he says this, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That this is a gift from God to us, and it is for our good. There is an excellent book. If you want to know more about this, one a small book I would recommend to you is a guy called um, Walter Brueggemann. He's written a book called Sabbath as Resistance. Um, and I would recommend anybody read that. Um, and he says this, God God did not, I'll tell you what, ah, oh, man alive. God did not come and check on creation in anxiety to be sure it was working. God has complete confidence in the fruit-bearing, blessing-generating processes of creation that have been instituted. And again, this is the, one of the underlying themes of Sabbath is, do we trust God enough to take a day off? Do we trust that when we stop, the world will carry on and be fine? So Sabbath is God's design, but Sabbath is also God's reset. And it puts God back on the throne. So interestingly, so for those who don't know, we get given the Ten Commandments twice in the Bible. We get given it not long after the Israelites have escaped Egypt. We get given it close to Moses' death when there is a whole, probably a whole generation of people who are once kind of removed from escaping Egypt. So the first time uh, we get the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is included. But the second time we get it, it's also included, but it's included with a specific piece of detail. So this is Deuteronomy 5 from, from verse 12. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest. As you, sorry, as you do, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the bit that is included the second time that isn't included the first time is the reference to God bringing his people out of Egypt. So the book of Deuteronomy translates pretty well, as that name Deuteronomy is, second law, um, that actually there is this sense that this is, as Moses is preparing to die, that actually this is um, solidifying and making, putting back to the forefront of the Hebrew kind of mind that these rules are here. Now we look back at the law and go, Jesus set us free from the law and all that stuff. And that's massively complicated and tangled. And don't ask me to answer too many questions because I'll be wrong at points, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, 
But the idea of the law that God gave was actually for a society that was for the good of all people. Um, and there are bits of it that nobody ever bothered to practice that would probably do us good. So things like one of the rules in Sabbath, just this is me, sorry, I'm off on a total tangent now. Sorry. Um, one, of the, one of the pieces um, of the law is that actually every seven years or 50 years, I can't remember, that you farmers in your fields, you let the land rest for a year. You don't plough it. You don't do anything like that. Um, the idea being that you, you can pick what you want off the land that still grows. But what's fascinating to me is we live in this culture that is so dominated by we need more, 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 more. And we now live in a country where the, the soil that we use for farmers, they reckon there's maybe 100 good harvests left. And after that, we have so destroyed the quality of the soil that we might be in trouble. That actually, even in the law, there is, there is this sense of God is looking after the creation that he has created. That actually, in letting the land rest, you re recover some of the soil quality, all that kind of stuff. There's lots of things in that that is good for us. Anyway, sorry, total tension. In this second telling of the Ten Commandments, this reference to the Sabbath, um, actually, the Lord brings up Egypt. Moses talks about the escape from Egypt. And in Egypt, there was somebody called Pharaoh, who was the king. Many of you all know this in part. Okay? And Pharaoh just drove, and I'm sure it's not just the Hebrew people, all sorts of people, um, with just a tyrannical work rate. That actually, particularly we're told in the case of the Hebrew people, that they, as they made more bricks, they were given less stuff to make the bricks with. Whatever they did, they couldn't outwork the demands of Pharaoh. They didn't have days off, all of that stuff. And there is this sense that actually this retelling of the Sabbath is just reminding the people that God is making this statement, that God is different to Pharaoh. Again, Walter Brueggemann in that book says, God is not Pharaoh. God does not keep jacking up production schedules. To the contrary, God, rest, God rests confident, serene, at peace. God's rest, moreover, bestows on creatureliness a restfulness that contradicts the drivenness of the system of Pharaoh. That last bit is a particular mouthful. But actually, as we rest in God's rest, his gift to us is just a breaking from exhaustion. And I think, you know, we can look, and we often do this, we look back at like the Old Testament, and particularly the Israelites go, oh, weren't they silly? And we have that attitude. But, and we would look at this and go, I'm so grateful that I'm not oppressed like Pharaoh. And in many ways, we're not. But could I make a statement that's going to sound crazy the first time I say it? But in many ways in our culture, Pharaoh is very much still alive. Now, before you think I've gone totally off the deep end, and I've spent far too long going down YouTube rabbit holes, um, what I mean by that is our culture is so driven for consumerism and more that actually productivity is the most important thing in many cases. Um, that actually, you know, our work hours are longer. The work from home thing is interesting because it gives, it feels like it gives you more freedom, but my experience of working from home was I worked more than I would have done in an office because there was no time to go make coffee or have a chat with that person or, oh, let's go get some lunch together and take an hour off. That doesn't happen when you work from home in the same way often. 
Um, but the demands of technology, so computers were meant to revolution our lives so we could just sit about reading books, eating grapes, and being fanned and things like that. None of that has really happened. Actually, computers have demanded more and more of our time. Tim Keller um, has written this, a fascinating book called Counterfeit Gods. Um, and he says this, in ancient times, the deities, and the Egyptians would have viewed Pharaoh as a deity, the deities were bloodthirsty and hard to appease. They still are. There is this sense that actually we would say our God isn't Pharaoh. I would make the observation that in our culture, our gods are ourselves. That the human race has become, that is the underlying story of humanism, secular humanism. That actually there are more and more and more demands placed upon us. Interestingly, even as I was preparing this, uh, an advert came up for Spotify. Do you know what Spotify is? It's like music streaming service. They, have, they did a survey recently um, for their advertising so they can sell it to people to advertise. But they did um, this survey, and they, what they found was that Generation Z, so I am what's called a millennial, I think. Um, Gen Z is like late 20s to... I don't know, late teens, I guess, at this point. What they found was that the music that a lot of Gen Z are listening to is becoming more and more dominated by music from decades past, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And the reason is because it makes them, it reminds them of simpler times, which is fascinating. I mean, what 23-year-old... As a 23-year-old, I, I mean, I did not want to listen to anything from the 80s. Fleetwood Mac, I, I don't think I'd even listened to Fleetwood Mac when I was age 23. I mean, I grew up in a Christian house, to clarify, so I pretty much listened to um, Hillsong forever. Um, <laughs> so genuinely, my late 20s was discovering that there was other music in the world. Yeah. Um, and I don't say any of this, you know, I'm... As I'm saying this, you might recognize some of these stresses and strains in yourself. And as I said at the beginning, I'm really not speaking in judgment here, but actually this is somebody who recognizes their own weakness going, I think we have a problem here. And um, when I look at how much I work and how busy I am, there is this question that has to arise in me somewhere, is how much do I trust God for my provision? How much do I trust God's plans to restore my health and well-being and all that stuff. If I take away what I do here in ministry, if you like, or as a dad, or some of the graphic design stuff, if I take away some of that stuff, what, what do I have left? Have I made idols of any of these things? And my natural tendency, and I know this fully, my, my natural tendency is toward being a workaholic to work harder. And there is a sense in which work harder, get more results, and that's fine until you crash. Uh, John Mark Comer says this, workaholism uh, is more than an addiction. It is a twisted kind of worship, a search for meaning and purpose in what we do. And I can totally recognize that in myself. That actually, whether it's at work or home or somewhere else, The underlying fear is, if I don't do this thing, uh, then it's all going to go horribly wrong. There is no trust in God with that. 
So Sabbath is part of our resistance to all of these things. If we want to keep perspective on life and on productivity and on busyness, if we want to resist anxiety and worry and some insecurity, actually, I think security is, sorry, Sabbath is key. Because I think this act of taking a chunk of time away from doing stuff can actually really only remind us of the goodness and faithfulness of God. Can only recenter us on, I am not in control. I am, you know, I am not the center of the universe. The world does not fall apart if I take, hopefully, a 24-hour period to rest. You know, in the midst of war and pandemic and famine and stress and grief, whatever is going on around us, this act of Sabbath can actually just remind us of who God is. That no matter what comes, he is in control. And he knows what's best for us. And sometimes we don't like what God thinks is best for us. If I'm honest, I think that sometimes. It's like God, when God answers prayer sometimes, I'm like, why could you just not answer it the way I wanted you to? But in Sabbath, we get this moment to retreat from all the stuff and just be with him and be with people that we love and relax and enjoy the creation for which we're made. And it comes back to this thing, actually, that we we can't um, earn God's love. So Tim Keller, again, he's got this quote, Christianity is the only identity in Christianity um, actually, he's talking about um, who we are in Christ. is the only identity that is received and not achieved. That actually even good things can bury us and be a distraction. And this is my challenge. You know, people will phone me and go, oh, come over and pray with me. I'm like, That's a good thing, but I'm also exhausted. You know, so even like the most spiritual sounding things that with the best heart and all that is sometimes just going, I just, God, I can't, I, I can't do that thing. So, if you are a bit like me and you are always busy or tired, or if you're honest, exhausted, or burned out might be other phrases we use. That might be down to some bad habits. But it might also tell us that we are lacking this kind of Sabbath rest. You know, this idea of resting deep in the presence of God, um, enjoying the creation he's given us. Interestingly, when God creates the Garden of Eden, Eden translates as delight, that it is the Garden of Delight. And when God steps back and looks at his creation, he delights in it. And when I'm talking about Sabbath, what you don't need to hear is we all need to go to church for 24 hours because that is not Sabbath, really, especially not for me. I mean, if you guys are expecting me to do this for 24 hours, you can think again. Um, I'm sorry, I know you'd love it, me talking for 24 hours, aren't you? Um, but actually, what, what are the things that give you life, that actually deep in the, who you are and the person God has created you to be, bring you joy? 
And yes, there should be time for prayer. And um, I would always encourage people to do Sabbath with other people. Enjoy good company and good food and good wine if you can afford it or drink it. Some of you don't or can't, I guess. Um, but whatever it is, get out into nature. Read a book. Um, just enjoy time with family. You know, there is a whole list of things, and you know what deep in your heart that thing is. But just make space to do those things. For me, it is pr probably finding a drum kit from somewhere and playing drums and imagining I'm Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters uh, for a little while. And I think it's easy for us to look at all this stuff and go, but everything you've talked about really is Old Testament stuff, Tom. And, and I kind of get that. And, but Jesus regularly took time to rest. We don't really have an example where he observed the Sabbath as such. I'm sure he did in a Jewish culture. But he regularly just goes to his disciples, goes, right, lads, I'm off up a mountain to pray for a bit. I'm just going to go and rest. Jesus falls asleep in a boat. You know, he just, he rests and models that to us. And he rests, so that, and that's what happens in that rest. He gets the energy to go out and do all the things that, the God, that God has for him to do. So the question is, what might Sabbath look like for us? And how can we work towards it? Because I, so I recognize that me, I could stand here and go, right, we should all take uh, Friday evening to Saturday evening as Sabbath, and we should do it next week we have to work some of this stuff out. The reality is some of us have, you know, we live in a culture that works shifts all the time, and those vary. But actually, you know, what would it look like even to take, you know, next Saturday or a day in the week to take a few hours where you just pause and pray? You intentionally do not a lot. And you just rest what might the who you know what friends might or family might you want to invite into that? Um, what might you need to do to prepare for that? So interestingly, you hear a lot of well, you should take Sabbath, um, and a lot of people will observe Sabbath without cooking, but that means you've got to prepare food. So actually, what's the time you need to prepare some stuff? My advice: use a slow cooker. I'm like, if you come to my house, you've, your food has probably been made in a slow cooker. Um, because if I try and cook anything more technical than what can go in one pot, it's a disaster, partly. But, um, but actually, what are the things that we can put in place that just make it more practical for us? And, you know, in a world that keeps us busy, much like prayer or anything else, this practice of Sabbath just won't happen by accident. And I think I kid myself that, you know, at some point I'll have some, like, quiet weekends. But the reality is if we don't plan to have these quieter weekends and spaces, we're not going to have quieter, quieter weekends. I think I'm on three birthday parties this week, this weekend, and maybe two next week, I don't know. We're, we're at like that stage of life where every weekend is multiple birthday parties, and nobody's actually inviting me. I just have to go to them. So, um, yeah, you can feel sorry for me. It's fine. Um, so... Um, there is a lot more that could be said about Sabbath, probably by smarter people than me, that are better at practicing it than me. Um, 
but to say that like all these things, when we're talking about doing things in the way of Jesus, that they are probably the journey of a lifetime. You know, all the goodness that we could take out of Sabbath is not going to happen the first time you practice it. And probably there will be weekends where you try and practice Sabbath and it just is a disaster. You know, Jimmy breaks his finger and you have to take him to hospital. Or, you know, stuff happens. But what does it... What does it look like to commit to slowly, if needs be, just changing things around to rest and enjoy God and enjoy creation and recover? And how different might we be as people if we did it? You know, if you are somebody who is close to being burnt out, then I could probably tell you now, with all the love in the world, you are probably grouchy and miserable to be around. But what does it look like to rest and recover and rediscover the depth of emotions that you've got deep in there somewhere, but you've shut out because you're physically and otherwise exhausted? So if you are like me, you know, I can, I can do and do and do. You know, I can live off three hours sleep a night forever if I need to. What you won't get out of me is any emotion in that season because I'm just functioning. And that has a knock-on effect on all sorts of things. Now, each of us will have different ways of responding to exhaustion. Um, likely, none of them terribly healthy. But um, I do want to finish by just creating space to pray for one another. Um, so, could I encourage you to stand? If you're able to. Um, so I think there's just a few, and this, this requires us, those of us who want to respond to this, just having the guts to do it. Um, there, is no, there is no shame in admitting your need of prayer. Again, one of the, the things about the culture that we live in is everyone has to look okay and just bury the stuff deep down inside somewhere. But actually, we're hopefully here, we, we consider ourselves part of the family of God, and we, we all need help sometimes. We, all need, we are all the people that need prayer sometimes, if we're honest. So just a couple of things immediately that I'd love us to pray for. One is people who, and I, and I know there's people in the room with this, so this is not the word of the Lord or any of that stuff, but just people who are struggling with sleep. Now, maybe that's a medical thing. Maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's um, a kid's thing. I don't know. But if you're struggling with good, solid sleep. Um, and then the other group are just people who are exhausted and kind of burnt out and emotionally shut down, whatever you want to, however you want to word that. Um, So if either of those categories fit you, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front particularly. Um, and I'm going to put my hand up, so I'll probably need Chris to come back unless Chris wants prayer, in which case we need to find someone else. Um, um, but could I encourage you to put your hand, just raise your hand, as I want prayer. I'm one of those people. I'd like, um, and we can wait a minute. So struggling with sleep, for whatever reason, or just burnt out emotionally or other. So if you are not one of those people, 
could I, I'll keep my hand up, sorry. Could I encourage you just to look around the room and go find someone and pray for them? We don't really have a ministry team, so this is up to the rest of you. You don't need to have a big complicated. If you don't know what to pray, then just ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Um, you can start there. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.